Take your Bibles and turn to Luke 23 this morning. Luke chapter 23, we'd like to read responsibly verses 27 through verse 38. I'll read verse 27 in the succeeding odd numbered verses through verse 37. Would you begin reading with me please in unison verse 28 in the succeeding even numbered verses through verse 38. Once again, that's Luke chapter 23 verses 27 through 38, and reading responsively. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, speak to our hearts through this first beginning passage of the seven sayings of the Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Speak to hearts fresh and anew, we pray. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do. Bless our children, dear God, and down to the in junior church in a few minutes as well. We'll give you all the glory and praise for it. May you be exalted and lifted up, Lord Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Luke 23, a veteran crowd this morning here. I can look around and say that everybody's here is a regular of for in many cases for many years, a number of years. I'm glad that you're in, humbled that you're in the house of God this morning to listen to this poor preacher, but we have a powerful word of God, and so we're in good shape this morning. We want to begin a five-week series of messages this morning leading up to Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, four and five weeks off, of course, from today. And we want to preach on the first word of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. Some have called this the notion of truth. Uh, compressed into a drop of speech. We had the second phrase that Lord willing we'll look at next week, the word of assurance. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, Jesus said on the cross. We'll look at the word of devotion. We'll skip that one actually. And the, we said to mother, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. The word of dereliction, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The word of agony, we'll have to skip for time's sake and those two words, I thirst. Lord willing, we'll look at the word of triumph, it is finished, Telstai. And then, Lord willing, on Resurrection Sunday, we'll look at the word of confidence, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, I commend my spirit. 
But Christ said, as he was being nailed to the cross, I believe as his hands went down on that patibulum or the, the crossbar that we know of as a cross, and as a Roman soldier slammed those spikes into his hands and feet, feet, I believe at that time he said these words, the first of seven sayings on the cross, verse 34, Luke 23, familiar to most of all of us here. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We want to address the subject this morning on who gets forgiveness. A lot of misunderstanding in this passage of Scripture. Books have been written, volumes have been written, as a matter of fact, on this one verse. Luke 23 and verse number 34, of course. I want you to know in way of introduction, though, that Christ's first words on the cross were not words of wrath, not words of imprecatory judgment on his murderers, on his executioners, but they were words of compassion. They were words of forgiveness. They were uttered in a prayer. They were words of intercession. He prayed to his father, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. His first words were not words of cursing. No doubt many that were crucified. And I know some people get squirmy. I've had several people tell me over the years in our church body that preacher, I don't like when you preach or other preachers preach on the crucifixion of Christ. It's so graphic. It's so grotesque. I don't watch war, war movies. I don't want to watch, uh, I don't want to have my mind uh, infected by the, the horrors of the grotesque cross and crucifixion. But that is where the power is. That's what really happened, and we need to know. But uh, this, but Jesus didn't curse and spit at his executioners when he died on the cross. They spit at him, but he did not spit at them. Instead, he didn't curse them, but he asked a blessing upon them. He prayed for them. It was not a prayer for himself. How many thousands of prayers have you offered up and I offered up for ourselves? We usually pray, give me, give me, give me, Lord, well, God Almighty. We used to pray, and we pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, give me a lot more of my daily bread. Give me much more. We pray for ourselves over and over and over again. Stephen, when he died, the martyr's death, the great martyr that he was, the great, he prayed for himself. He said, Father, in thy hands I commend my spirit. He, asked, he prayed for himself, but Jesus didn't pray for himself. He prayed for others. His first prayer was for them. And so he didn't pray uh, for First word of prayer was for forgiveness, but he, he who did no sin became my sin for me. I love, I quoted many times, Second Corinthians 5.21, for he, speaking about God the Father, hath made him, speaking about Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He didn't say, as he said in Matthew 9.6, as the authoritative God that he was, he said, the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He became, on the cross of Calvary, our condemnation. He took our condemnation and he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them, condemn me. That's what he did on Calvary's cross. And so I want you to consider the doctrine of forgiveness this morning. And I've given you this before here, message passed, but let me give you this first threefold outline here. What this doctrine of forgiveness is teaching and forgiveness is first of all, it's a, the doctrine of forgiveness is a God thing. I might add and say it this way it's the God of the Bible thing. Not the God of Islam thing, not the God of Confucius thing, not the God of Mother Nature thing, not the God of your choosing thing. It's the God of the Bible. We quote the verse, we're so, so used to it, we turn off our minds, we don't have to think about it because we know it so well. John three sixteen. for God 
so loved the world. It was a God thing, this doctrine of forgiveness, this initiation of forgiveness. Isaiah 53, verse 10, again, familiar passages to you veterans. So let me just read verse 10 to you. Yet it pleased the Lord, that's Jehovah God, to bruise him, that's Jesus. 700 years before he died on Calvary's cross, a God-ordained thing that Jesus Christ would come and die for the sins of mankind. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, or it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put to him grief. And thou shalt see his soul an offering, make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The doctrine of forgiveness is, starts off with the God thing, the God of the Bible. Then it's the Christ thing. Back to Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Surely he, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him smitten, or stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We know verse 5, most of us that have been in Christianity for a number of times, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the Lord, Jehovah God, has laid on him the chastisement of us all. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the, uh, the iniquity of us all. So forgiveness, it begins, his doctrine of forgiveness begins with God. It's manifested through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It's a Christ thing. It's a God thing. But it's a Christian thing. In fact, it's Christianity 101. We are to be you born-again Christians, if you're born again, and you're not a Christian if you're not born again. We are to be little Christ, Christ ones. The Bible says, and be kind, Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Even as, do you know it? God, it's a God thing, for Christ, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see how this flows down? It starts with God. It emanates, it was manifested in Christ his son, and now it's manifested through us, this forgiveness thing. So we see this doctrine of forgiveness, but then number two on our worksheet, the, I want you to consider the, uh, oh, by the way, I guess I didn't give you the bullet point. That's important. I don't want to miss that. That's, that's the whole crux of the, the, our introduction this morning. The word of forgiveness is at the very core of Calvary. It starts as the foundation of Calvary. Father, forgive them. He's got six hours to hang and bleed and die on the cross of Calvary. I've said it many hundreds of times. I can somewhat comprehend because I've gone through a little bit of physical pain myself, not much. Nothing like going being crucified for sure. But I can understand and you can understand human pain. We've all had human pain. Christ had incredible pain that none of us have ever experienced. None of us have been crucified, of course, not literally speaking. We can somewhat comprehend physical pain, but we can't understand the, the, the burden of the weight of Jesus Christ having the whole world's sins upon him. That's just a part in the slang. It's a mind blower. There's no way we can even comprehend that, that he died for all of my sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of the story of thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. 
the, this doctrine of forgiveness begins with, this doctrine of the, the cross of Calvary begins with forgiveness, of course. But then I want you to notice, secondly, it's, and it's, it's meant to be the core of Christianity, but I want you to notice, secondly, the, 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 the degree of forgiveness. Christ said, Father, forgive. Every prayer that Christ ever prayed was honored by his heavenly Father. To whom did our Lord intend his prayer to apply to? It's not on your worksheet, but I got five eyes, and you people that like to fill in the extra, extra fill in the blanks for extra credit on your report card. But uh, the, the, who did, to answer the question of uh, letter A on our worksheet of the who, when Jesus prayed, see, we have to take the Bible in its context. That's what preaching is doing. That's what we're trying to do, exploring the word of God. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who was he referring to? Well, some would suppose and some would say that he, to those immediately responsible for the crucifixion, the key word is those immediately, immediately responsible, the word immediate. That would be the soldiers, none other than the soldiers, verse 36. They, after they, they, they nailed the nail him to the cross, they, they mocked him and they spit upon him and they cursed him and they derided him, made fun of him. And then it was, uh, secondly, verse 35, the rulers, as we could say, to keep my alliteration going, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body class of the Caiaphas and the high priest, they, those who are immediately responsible for putting, nailing him to that cross. When he died on the cross, did he die for, did he, did he ask prayer of forgiveness for them? I think he did. But is that, is that the corrupt, is that the, is that the complete view of what he said? I don't think so. So we have those immediately responsible for the crucifixion. Secondly, another I word, those ignorant of what they were doing. A lot of people are ignorant of the cross of Calvary. A lot of people are ignorant of Christ. How many people use Jesus Christ in blasphemy and they don't even know who he is? They don't know what he did. How many millions of kids are growing up in America? They don't know the story of Adam and Eve. They don't know the story of the, they don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. They never heard of John 3.16, let alone uh, Galatians 3.20 or many other verses in the Bible. They don't even know there is a book of Galatians. They don't know anything about Christ. There's plenty of ignorance, a lot of ignorance to go around in this world today. A lot of people that don't know. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.8, if you want a verse, the Bible says, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There are those that say, that claim ignorance. I didn't know. The Negro spiritual said, poor little Jesus boy, we didn't know who you were or who you was. People say, I don't know who Christ is. Ignorance is no excuse of the law. You tried uh, one of my three sons-in-laws. I won't tell which one. Don't ask me after service. I won't tell you. One of my three sons-in-laws got pulled over by the officer of the law yesterday or the other day. And the officer, and they, 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 and they got a ticket. I'm tattling on one of my three sons-in-laws to figure out who it was. They got a ticket. They were doing X amount of speed in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. I will let you figure out what they were doing. They could claim, officer, we didn't know. I didn't know. They did know for the record. And I don't think they, I didn't know what the speed limit was. You ever try that one? In England, it's just no excuse of the law. You might not, might not make you as culpable, but there's signs on the road. I know it's a silly illustration when we use it, but it's uh, the evidence of creation is all around us. And there's, there's signs that tell us that there's a God in heaven and we're accountable. And it's pointed out, man, what's to stop it after this judgment? 
We preached three weeks on judgment and, and uh, the coming judgment and the judgment that's upon us right now. There's a degree of, when Jesus prayed that prayer, he was praying for those immediate, I believe that's true, for those ignorant, but ignorance is no excuse. Ignorance does not uh, end your culpability. Some would say that he prayed for the Israelites, those that knew what they were doing. They, they cried, crucify him, crucify him. Just hours, just minutes before this, relatively speaking. And they, they said, give us Barabbas. And uh, he came unto his own, his own received him not. He came to his family members. He came to his ethnicity and they, they, they didn't receive him. Some have blamed, down through history, the Jews have been blamed for putting Christ on the cross. And certainly they're culpable in regards to that, that literal truth for sure. But we could say the immediate, who actually nailed him to the cross, the Romans, the soldiers, who brokered the deal, the Sanhedrin, who, who put him there, the crowds that cried crucify him in ignorance, or the crowds in intellect that Israelites said should have known better. The fourth group would be those innocent of all the ages. There's a lot of people that are claiming innocency and do play, again, ignorance, and then they're not, too, they're not old enough to understand. And uh, A.T. Robertson, the great theologian, said in summarizing, and if you read, if you study, there's been books written on this, there's volumes written on who did Jesus mean when he said, Father, forgive them. A.T. Robertson specifically says, defines them as he was speaking to the Romans or the Gentiles. But E.H. Plummer, another great theologian, says, no, he was speaking specifically to the Jews. A. Watson, another theologian, says he was speaking both to the Jews and Gentiles. W.H. Howe, another theologian, says he was talking to all mankind. But J. Oswald Sanders, and I stole a good part of this message from uh, The Magnificent Christ, the book of J. Oswald Sanders, for the record. I don't mind giving credit to where credit's due. He said, was it not for the sin of the whole world that nailed him to the cross? And so the answer is not when he prayed the prayer, it's not complete to say he prayed for those just immediately responsible for the crucifixion or those ignorant of what they were doing or the Israelites that cried crucify him or those that are innocent of all the ages. But the correct view, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was referring to the individual sinner who calls upon Christ. You see, the atonement had to be made. The, you want a verse, 1 Timothy 4.10. He is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. You see, Christ's atonement was complete, was an unlimited atonement, not a universal atonement. He didn't die with a blanket, oh, I'm going to forgive everybody for whether they ask or not ask. He gave a universal atonement, but there must be, you must avail yourself to that atonement. You must call upon Christ to save you. And so that leads me to how much of sin did Christ forgive on that cross to those people that he forgave sin to? Well, the answer is letter B, how much? And the answer is all of them, of course. Micah 7 verse 19 reminds us, he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou shalt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. How, how many of you remember? Don't raise your hand, please. How many of you remember the transgression that somebody committed against you, you, did you when they did you dirty and did you wrong? How many can you remember that? 
Jesus said, I'll remember your sin, your transgression against me no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the depths of the deepest sea. But 1 John 1, 9 codifies and explains completely the sin that Jesus forgives. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? Do you know it? All unrighteousness. And so he said, Father, forgive them. Keep on forgiving them. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. This God of ours, this Christ that died on the cross. When he died on that cross, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. We sing the song, it's still the blood. The blood still flows, if you will. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that blood. Beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There's the doctrine of forgiveness. It's a God thing. It's a Christ thing. It's a Christian thing. There's the... the Degree of forgiveness to who and to how much, all of our sin. But then I want you to notice the duty of forgiveness. And I want to do this fairly quickly, but I need to take a few minutes here. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18, if you would please. Back to Matthew chapter 18. A preacher preached on this passage. I'm trying to think who it was. Just a few weeks ago from our pulpit on a Sunday night service. I don't know if it was... I can't think who it was, but somebody preached on it. Maybe Brother Lucio. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Brother Lucio. It was somebody else. But he preached on the question, and we can just paraphrase for time's sake. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter asked the Lord, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? And the Lord says, no, 70 times seven, of course, next verse, and I'm paraphrasing. And then he goes into a parable in verse 20. Three it is. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. I want to deal with the duty of forgiveness. Jesus gives a parable explaining our duty to forgive. And when, verse 24, he had begun to reckon one, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now I have a note in my Bible. You probably have a note in your Bible too if you have a reverence Bible. That a talent, according to my Bible here, is... My reference is 750 ounces of silver, which after, is, uh, after five shillings, the, the ounce is, and then it has more notation that I can't even read with my spectacles on it, it gets so small. But anyhow, let me, let me give you the, the, the number here. He owed 10,000 talents. A talent is worth 60 mina. One mina was worth three months' wages. So in other words, one talent would equal 15 years of wages. So do the math, and the, the, this debtor owed his master 10,000 talents. That's a, I did this right, 150,000 years of wages at $50,000 a year. Or in other words, in our money, our terminology today, or our money today would be $7.5 billion that this man owed his master. Anybody owe $7.5 million on your, billion dollars on your mortgage? See me after the service. If you do, I want to know about you. So. No, none of us, we, that's money, mind-blowing. Most of us, all of us in this room combined, don't come one one thousandth close to that type of money, of course. Well, it goes on to say, for as much as, or back into the text here, verse 25, but as, for as much as he had not to pay or was not able to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment was to be made. 
Let me ask you the question. If you had to pay for all your sins, how many sins have you committed? What's the number? How many did you commit today? Say, preacher, you're getting personal. How many did you commit before the day is out? Most of our sin that we, we beget begins in our mind. And uh, you don't, I'm sure you don't sin like I sin. But we, we sin so much we don't even know we sin. And the number of sins, if the Lord, Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquity, so Lord, who should stand? If the word spoken by angels is steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, Hebrews 12 tells us. And Hebrews 2 tells us, rather. And so here's his debtor. He owed 10,000 talents. He could never pay it in a million years. And so, verse 25, his master forgives him. And he falls down, verse 26, his servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience on me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord, there's your compassion, verse 27. Moved the compassion, loosed him, and forgave him all his debt. And I'm paraphrasing. But then the servant went out, verse number 28, and he found another servant, somebody, a fellow servant that owed him money, and he owed him 100 pence. That's equal to, 100 pence is equal to about $16,000. So if you made 50000 a year, you could pay, in about four months, you could make $16,000 or 100 pence, in other words. And it was payable. And he took him by the throat, the Bible says, verse 28, and said, pay me all that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him and said, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord or the master, in other words, that had forgiven this other servant of this great debt, all that was done. Then his Lord, his master, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt, that debt, because thou desirest me, or he asked me, shouldn't not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors that he should pay all so that he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do all that unto you, that is, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. And so I want to give you two bullet points in regards to understanding this, this duty of forgiveness. It's our Christian duty. See, this, the doctrine is forgiveness is a God thing. It's a Christ thing, and now it's become a Christian thing. And so remember this, first of all, Christian. Christian forgiveness is not just a good idea. It's not just a good idea. It's a command. Then I want you to think, secondly, remember, the blood of Christ covers all sin. And all God's people said, amen. amen. The blood of Christ covers all sin, including the ones committed against me. Now, I don't have to make your mind churn hard when I say this to you, but I want you to consider the greatest egregious violation that anybody's ever done against you in your life. Don't raise your hand. Anybody been fired from your job unjustly? Don't raise your hand. Anybody suffered through uh, uh, maybe adultery, loss of your marriage? Don't raise your hand. Anybody, and I could go on and on with example. Anybody been wronged by a mother or father here? Don't raise your hand. 
brother or sister or somebody or, or, or worse yet, a Christian brother or sister in Christ that did you wrong. There's people that don't come to Harvest Baptist Church because somebody in Harvest Baptist Church once upon a time did them wrong. Maybe it was the pastor. Maybe, maybe it was somebody else. And they'll never come to, I ran into somebody, it just popped in my head, I could be, again, elusive on purpose, but this really happened. I was at Price Chopper a few weeks ago and I ran into a certain somebody hasn't come to our church in many, many years. They haven't come to our church because a certain somebody came to our church. And they didn't know that this person has left, left our church many, many years ago themselves. They're still not coming to Harvest Baptist Church because so-and-so is at Harvest Baptist Church. When, Harvest Baptist, when they're in so-and-so is not at Harvest Baptist Church. But they're not coming to Harvest Baptist Church because they think so-and-so is still here. Well, so-and-so is gone. And they're still holding out. I'll never go to that, back to that church because so-and-so was there and they did me wrong. Well, what if so-and-so said Harvest Baptist Church or Grace Baptist Church or whatever church you want to pick? If you got out against your brother, nobody would be here, including if you, <laughs> I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here because of me. And, and when we do not forgive someone and we hold a grudge against them and do not forgive the minor Infraction, comparatively speaking, that they've done towards us when we've done such, so much to, more to the Lord, we're essentially saying this. Father, your son's blood was enough to satisfy you to cleanse me of all my sin, but it's not enough to satisfy me. In other words, Lord, you can forgive me, but I can't forgive that person that did wrong against me. I've preached this several times before in the last couple, three years, the doctrine of forgiveness. We have Christians that are full of bitterness and they will not forgive, yet they've been forgiven. I knew I was preaching this, obviously, so last night I went through my list of all the people that have ever wronged me. It's a small list, like three people on the list. I'm teasing. There's a few more people than that. And I prayed, I'm not, not patting myself on the back. It was so liberating, so, so refreshing to pray this again. Lord, bless them. Lord, I love them. Lord, Lord, use them. Dear God, protect them. Use them. Be a blessing to them. Some of them have never asked forgiveness to me, and they don't need to because I already forgave them. I forgave forward. What was Jesus doing on the cross? He is forgiving forward. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That leads me to four and five here. Let's hurry along here. The damnation of unforgiveness. See, when we don't put into practice what our Lord Jesus Christ taught us on the cross of Calvary, the first word of his, this ocean of truth in a, in a compressed into a drop of speech. Father, forgive them. We don't exercise Christianity 101 of that of forgiveness. We are, in practicality, we're this damnation of unforgiveness. Look at verse 34, back to Matthew 18, if you're still there. And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. The only time we find this word tormentor or torment, uh, the same Greek word is found in Luke chapter 16 of the story of rich man and Lazarus. So he's tormented and the rich man was tormented in these flames, the literal hell. Now don't misunderstand me. There is a literal hell with hell fire, that's for sure. And we don't say oh, amen, about, amen about that, we say oh me. It's mercy, it's by his mercy grace we're not going there. Hell's real. Heaven's real. And, but you've heard people say, well, this is heaven on earth. And some people make this can be a really good place to live if you know Christ is your Savior. And it can be heaven on earth. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is, heaven's great, but walking with Christ is great on this earth. But uh, some people make earth heaven, and some people make earth hell. Understand it in the proper context. And when you don't forgive, you're, someone has said bitterness is a cup of poison that you drink hoping somebody else dies from it. And the damnation of unforgiveness, we're delivered to the tormentors. There are many people that have come through the doors of Harvest Baptist Church. They're not in church this morning because they have, they have never practiced the doctrine of forgiveness in their heart and life. Oh, that church has got problems. Really. We all have problems. Uh, that, well, they, they have sinners. They have sinners. And you're not. We're all we're all guilty. We torment ourselves. And uh, this leads to many, the root of bitterness, whereby many to be defiled, Hebrews tells us. The damnation of unforgiveness, bitterness, depression, outward burst of anger, anxiety, fear, addictions, many of them, paranoia, control issues, many physical issues are all a result of unforgiveness in the heart and life of somebody. There's freedom, there's liberation, there's release from the tormentor when you practice the exercise the doctrine of forgiveness. But then I want you to notice fifthly, and we'll summarize, and I want you to consider the doctrine of forgiveness for sure, the, the duty of forgiveness, the, the, pardon me, the degree of forgiveness, the duty of forgiveness, the damnation of unforgiveness. But then fifthly on our worksheet, the deliverance that comes with forgiveness Back in Luke chapter 18, turn there, please, or Luke 23, excuse me. Look at verse number 40. The doctrine or the deliverance that comes from forgiveness. There is a thief on the cross. He might have been a murderer as well. The Bible says, verse number 39, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Everyone that goes to hell will go to hell because they deserve to go there. And I know that's hard preaching and even to a veteran crowd, but we deserve judgment. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve grace. We deserve his judgment. We deserve holiness and justice to be done and we're all sinners and this one male factor this one thief realized that he said we're receiving what we got coming to us but this man speaking about Jesus Christ has done nothing wrong or nothing amiss and he said unto him Lord or Jesus Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom how much theological training did that thief have I would say probably nada. Not much, to say the least. He was a murderer. He was a rebel. He knew he sinned. And he turned to the Lord Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. We don't believe in soul sleep because the Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. The Bible teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And here's a text verse right here. Verse 43, and Jesus said unto him, Verily, you have a certainty, you have a truth, take it to the bank, take it to the bank of heaven. I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Notice, firstly, first bullet point on the, 
The deliverance that comes from forgiveness is there is salvation in asking for forgiveness. There is salvation. The Bible says, To all that will ask, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Romans 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm be elusive here. Again, a very veteran crowd, you know that. I'm preaching to the choir, but some of these Protestant churches, some of these other churches, some of these churches that people grow up and they, they grow up Christian all their life. No, you're not a Christian all your life. I, I, wanted, I need to preach for a second. You got to be born again. Pardon me for yelling. I'm trying to get the point across. The idea that I grew up in a Christian church, therefore it makes me a Christian. I was catechized, 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 there it is, confirmed, uh, consecrated, and christened, and all, that other, all those other C words. But have you ever received Christ as your Savior? Have you ever been born again? And I, it's one of the toughest things that I deal with, is dealing with people that have been in Christian churches all their life. Well, I'm a Christian. I, I grew up in church all my life. My parents were Christians. My mom and dad are Christians. But have you ever received Christ? Have you ever said to this man, Lord, remember me? I know I'm a sinner. I know you're the sinless one. And I ask you to come into my heart and save me. You see, salvation is asking for forgiveness. But then bullet point number two, don't, don't turn me off here. I got two more bullet points. We're done, but I want to make application. God unleashes this deliverance that comes with forgiveness. There's first of all salvation. And when we ask for forgiveness. And secondly, God unleashes his protection on us when we forgive. And I've already read Matthew 18, 34. God says, forgive and I'll forgive you. There's the relational fellowship status that we have in Christ when we forgive others. If we regard iniquity or sin in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. Your prayers are hindered by unforgiveness in your heart and life towards somebody. Man, I tell you, it just pops in my head. I, I, I just think of, pardon me, I have so many illustrations that never can really be said. But after pastoring these many years now, three and a half decades, same church, I got some people in my head that pops in my mind, just, just uh, popped in my mind. Sat and heard me preach thousands of times, hundreds of times, hundreds of messages, and have never gone down this doctrine of forgiveness. And they're bitter. And they're out of church because Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They're not a hypocrite, but Christians are hypocrites. There's no perfect church, there's no perfect pastor, and they'll never find one this side of glory. And they're tormented. They, they're drinking their own cup of poison. Oh, there's forgiveness in letting go. And then, thirdly, I want you to consider, I'll end with the opening illustration. Christianity is a God thing, or forgiveness is a God thing. It's a Christ thing. It's meant to be a Christian thing. It's at the ground floor. It's the very basis of the cross, forgiveness. It's what it's all about. Jesus, in his first seven sayings, this ocean of truth in a drop of speech, he said, Father, forgive. I don't have to yell that loud. I'm sorry. For they know not what they do. Forgive them specifically, for they know not what they do. Christ, the pinnacle of eternity, I believe, and I think it can be easily proved, is the continental divide of human destiny is the cross of Calvary. 
BCAD. Are you in Christ or out of Christ? What will you do with Jesus? The divider of all human destiny. Will you receive him as your savior? Will you call upon Christ to save you from your sins? I know most, hopefully all of you have done that. If it be one that hasn't done that this morning, you need to do that. I don't care how long you've been in church. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. And Christ was never more pleased, or God the Father was never more pleased than when Jesus Christ, his son, died on the cross and shed his blood and asked for forgiveness for you and I. Christ, last bullet point, God is never more glorified in us than when we forgive. The most glorious thing you can do to glorify God is forgive all that have ever offended you, all that have ever cut you off, all that have ever hurt you. I be elusive and I end with this illustration on purpose. Uh, I give more illustrations about myself because I know myself better than anybody else. But I don't want to have it, you think it's about me because it's not about me. But in my life, I go back to the times where I've been hurt the most. And I think of the people that hurt me the most. And I can honestly say I've been delivered for many, many years in regards to these things because I realize I've been forgiven of so much more than they ever did against me. And it's liberating and it's refreshing when I pray for others that they may be blessed. Is there anyone that you can't bless this morning? Anyone that you can't forgive this morning? Anyone that you hold out against? You're regarding iniquity in your heart and the Lord will not hear you. Husband, if you've got an odd against your wife, your prayers are hindered. First Peter chapter 3. Same as the wife against her husband. We need to let go and let God and forgive and, and, and ask God to bless them. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The march to Calvary, the march to the resurrection and the empty tomb is found in this first word. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Heavenly Father, Lord, I've preached, to, for the most part, a lot of veteran Christians this morning. Lord, some of these people have had to endure me and hear me preach thousands of times. Lord, they heard it again. But Lord, it's not my words, Lord, but your words that convict and, Lord, bring us to a place of confession and a place of, Lord, uh, cleansing and a place of celebration. Thank you for the cross of Calvary, Lord. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for rising again the third day for our justification. Lord, maybe there's someone here specifically this morning that, Lord, has been holding odd a grudge against a family member. Maybe a mother or father that's dead. Maybe a brother or sister. Maybe a brother or sister in Christ in the church. And, Lord, they're, they're having unforgiveness in their heart and life. Lord, their prayers are hindered. They're being tormented. Lord, there's deliverance and freedom. And Lord, three days later, you rose again triumphant from the grave. You paid the price, the perfect sacrifice for sins. You said, don't, don't, forget, don't condemn them, Lord, condemn me. Lord, we pray that you might be with the Christians this morning. Maybe you need to have a time of confession at an altar, Lord, and maybe once and for all ask you to forgive them for the, the sin of unforgiveness. Well, thank you for it. Help us, dear God, to be more like Christ and to practice the doctrine of forgiveness, we pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, let's take our hymn book and sing. sing uh...